Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Do you ever feel like your toddler is too going on 20? Like Jennifer Garner, the one who, in the movie where she woke up in an adult body in Suddenly 30. That might be an obscure reference, but if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Kids' behaviour can sometimes make you feel in over your head, which is why we might all need some advice on taming stubborn kids. Laura Jana is a paediatrician, associate professor at Penn State University's Prevention Research Centre and author of a number of books on parenting and children. Hi, Laura. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. Always a pleasure to join you. I'm not sure if I've used the right word there in terms of saying taming a child. What's actually going on for our toddlers when they might act out, say have a tantrum or just say no to everything we ask them to do? Sure. Well, you've raised several really good points there in that that one phrase because, first of all, the word taming, you know, it's an interesting one and we all use it and we all think of the terrible twos and tantrums. What I like to tell people is that we want to help young children learn to manage their emotions, figure out how to sort of be more socially appropriate, how to navigate the world. And that does take a certain degree of taming, but unless you understand the other side of it, you run the risk of taming some things out of children that you actually want them to have as they get older, like being assertive and being independent. So there's a balance there around the word taming. Um, maybe fine-tuning might be a better one. <laughs> and and they, they are extreme emotions, aren't they, when they might, you know, you cut their bread the wrong way or Absol- you give them <laughs> the wrong colored bowl. Absolutely. So here, you know, you're bringing up a really good point, and you and I have talked about this before, um, So in my book, The Toddler Brain, one of the things I really wanted to do, and I've spent a lot of time now helping people understand exactly what's going on in young children's brains, and you've hit the nail on the head when you say they've got really strong emotions, and what we have to remember is learning to control them is a skill. So the first step is being aware of them, self-awareness, self-control, and what we know about young children is that skills, they're called executive function skills, but it's being able to control your impulses and your emotions and behaviors. Those really don't kick in until about the ages of three to five. So under that, you may see some of it, but that's why you see two-year-olds, some might throw a tantrum, one might bite another one, somebody's going to, you know, throw a block or do those sorts of things that you'd like to think adults learn not to do, but at the age of two, controlling those impulses that maybe if we admit it, we all have at times, young children have a very hard time controlling those impulses just by normal developmental stage purposes. Now, that's one thing, the emotion when they get so big and we're trying to help them understand what's going on. What about the stubborn child? I'm thinking in particular every time I tried to get my kids into a car seat when they were toddlers, when they just say no, when they refuse to get into that car seat or they refuse to eat a certain vegetable, what's the most appropriate way that we should respond to that? Well, you know, the the first answer to that is be sure you're picking your battles, right? So if your child is fighting with you over whether or not they have to be in a car seat, the answer is they have to be in a car seat, 
right? Among other things, I've actually spent a lot of years as a very vocal advocate for child passenger safety, um, car seats, those sorts of things. So what your kids need to get from you, and this is starting from the day they're born, they need to know when you mean it. So things like car seats or if they take them a medicine and they like the taste of it and they want more, they cannot have more, right? You need to have that mentality around it, whereas if it's something like they really don't like a vegetable, do they really need to eat that vegetable or do they need to eat three more bites of that vegetable? Decide what you think is really important and then you want to be consistent about it, okay? But in terms of the stubbornness, here's how I like to think about it because if nothing else, it takes a little of the frustration out of parenting stubborn children. First of all, I always say, listen, when you have a very stubborn, assertive, independent, I'm going to do it myself kind of child when they're two, it can be very frustrating. It's what you want when they're 22. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to be assertive. I want to do it myself. I don't need you to do it for me. That's great. As a parent of now a 22-year-old, a 21-year-old, and a 19-year-old, you want your children to grow up being independent. It's just a little more challenging when they're two. So that's the first part of that. The other thing is it is a toddler's job. So it's a two-year-old's job to test your limits. Go, I'm going to do this and see if I can get away with it. It is your job to set some limits. So when they when they push back and they say, I don't want to be in a car seat, you say, I understand that you don't, but you need to be end of discussion, right? Like that's So that's where it's that think of it as a learning experience. You're teaching them. You're going to be consistent about it. And at the same time, understand it is normal for them to push back on you so that it's not something that you need to get angry about. You can be frustrated, try to keep that to yourself and say, this is normal. And it's my job to teach them and help them learn not to do the things that they're not supposed to do. I think the idea of setting boundaries young is really interesting because in my experience, having my children grow from babies to toddlers to children, um, actually understanding that laying boundaries and having those from an early age is really important, not just for your kids, but for you. Because we've never really done that before, have we? Most people anyway. It's not like we set boundaries on behavior for our partner, although sometimes we might want to, or our friends, the the way we need to do it for our children to thrive. It's kind of a new experience in a way, isn't it? Sure. And you know, it's really interesting that you say that because I spend a lot of time thinking about how What we do with children actually applies a lot to how we interact with adults. We just haven't really thought about it that much. And what we're talking about is human nature. And what we know about children, which I would suggest actually applies quite well to adults as well, is that everybody likes to feel safe, that there's not something that's going to come from around the corner and surprise them. They know what's happening next. And in a setting of safety, which is for young children, you set some boundaries. They know sort of what their limits are. It's not free, just completely free form. When they're in that environment, that lets them explore more, learn well, sleep well, do, you know, kind of thrive in that environment. So parents sometimes feel guilty, like I feel bad, I'm restricting them. Children do well, as long as you're not setting unreasonable boundaries or too many, right? When you want your child, you tell them where to sit, what to do, when to do it, how to say it, everything, and they can't explore. So yes, safe boundaries. Now think about the workplace. If someone says, here are some basic expectations and here's when I need this done, but now go do it. And if you're better off doing it at home, you're better off doing it late at night or early in the morning. But as long as you can get it done and here's the parameters, we all do well in those environments, right? We've got some boundaries, we know what's expected of us, and then we get to do what we do best, and we get to explore and figure it out. 
So again, you hit, <laughs> you hit that one where <laughs> it really applies to children and adults um, for a lot of these things. What about when these, um, let's just say the tantrums, if they happen in a public space, of course there's the pressure of people giving you dirty looks and thinking that you have no idea how to parent a child. But if we put all of that judgment aside and we're thinking and concentrating on our child, what's happening when they lose it in a public space and how should we respond to that? It, it, um, it's, first of all, remind yourself it's very, very common. We've all been there. And so that instant sort of reaction of, of feeling, you know, guilty that everyone's looking at me, I'm a terrible parent. What I tend to do as somebody who's a pediatrician, worked in early education, write parenting books, I say, listen, it's happened to me, right? I'm not immune to that either. My kids did through those tantrums. First of all, remind yourself it is normal expected behavior, right? Remember what I just said? Kids can't control their emotions very well. Even adults don't control their emotions very well. I always say in the adult world, it's do not hit send when you're angry. Don't send that email when you're angry. But for young children, it can be something very minor. It can be that they're overly tired and they just don't handle something well or that they want something and you tell them they can't have it. And they may lay down on the floor completely exaggerated and start screaming. What you need to to do is first of all remember that what you want to do is help bring them back into like how do they calm themselves because children aren't good at controlling those emotions they have them so your job is to help them control them that is not the time to lecture them on appropriate behavior right or to get angry at them because it's something that they can't control for themselves so just calming them down and in fact you can even feel sorry for them and and tell them i'm so sorry that you are so upset I would say, now that follows with the, but you still need to get in your car seat. But (laughs) you can can be sympathetic to the fact that young children do not control those emotions well. Nobody likes to feel out of control. How can you calm them back down again? And sometimes it means they need to take a minute, you know, like give them a minute. And, And a lot of us, you know, as parents, want to jump in and correct the problem, especially if it's in public, because we don't want everybody looking at us like we're bad parents. And sometimes in jumping in and getting upset in enforcing something instantly, as opposed to giving it a little bit of time, um, we actually stand to make it worse. Because when they're out of control, doing all that might just make them even less in control. <laughs> so I tell people, take a deep breath yourself. Think about it as a learning, teaching, you know, um, helping your child kind of move towards being able to control those emotions, express themselves in ways other than screaming. Um, but it does take time. And the younger the child, the harder it is to do, because like I said, we know that that's, that's a skill. And it, and it kicks in much more noticeably between the ages of three and five. So by the, if you have a six-year-old who's throwing a screaming fit, it's different than if you have a two or a three-year-old doing it. Mm. And that's not to say that they won't <laughs> at different points. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Listen, and, and remember, I always say it's a continuum. As an adult, if you are tired, if you are really frustrated, if you've had a lot of stuff going on, you don't necessarily control your emotions as well as you would like either. I mean, we can all think of those times. So this is just the progression of you get better at it, but there are things that will still tip you back into that sort of not really quite as in control of your emotions as you would like to be mode. Young children just are more likely to because they're only just mastering that skill. 
So what's a reasonable expectation for good behaviour in, let's say, the under fives? Given they're going through so many developmental changes, they have different capacities for understanding their own emotions. What can we reasonably expect for them? Well, and that's a pretty broad question because this sort of covers all of the things about, you know, young children. What I tell people is, first of all, there's a lot more going on in, in you know, young children's brains than, than people realize because they can't communicate it as well. Um, what, we, what we know about them, it's not even like an expectation. We know that they're watching, right, what happens, and especially you as a parent, they're watching you. So they're learning those things, whether they can make them all happen. So if you are demonstrating how to stay calm, how to take a deep breath, how to say, I'm sorry, I did not mean to yell, right? Those sorts of things, they're learning from you, even if you can't expect them to do it back for you yet. Um, But under five, you know, it's almost easier to say what you can't expect from young children because that's where people get into trouble. Things like sharing, it's nice, right? But if you like something and you want it, controlling the impulse to get it is a little difficult. So I tell people, you know, it, again, it falls into that between ages of three and five, you start to see kids actually playing with each other, not just like right next to each other. Um, but they may take toys from each other because I want it, so I take it. That's a lack of impulse control. And that's where between three and five, you start to see that coming into play. What you can expect earlier than most people realize is young children have a lot of empathy. They're very sensitive to others' emotions, and it's a good thing to remember when you're not quite in control of your own. Even infants can sense, uh, you know, an adult's emotions in the room. It may not even be that, that that adult is yelling at them, but maybe an adult is yelling somewhere in the room. A young child will remember and react differently to that adult the next time they see them, even if they're nonverbal, like a child who's not even speaking yet. So we can, you can expect them to sort of act by nature in kind ways as best they know how, and then just remember that when they don't, when it's something like a toy that they're fighting over they won't share, that's a learned skill that comes later. We hear a lot about different parenting types. Um, apparently, you know, there's a helicopter, there's a lawnmower, there's a tiger. Apparently a new one is called the panda which is the relaxed parent who steps back and lets their child explore. Um, Do you have an opinion on these types of parenting in terms of what's the most effective? (laughs) I do, and I will use actually more what comes from the pediatric and parenting literature. But I'll tell you, I just have to add in, as someone who lives in a much snowier climate than you do, <laughs> yes. um, there's also what has, I've heard, which I actually really like because it describes it so well. I don't like the style of parenting, but it's called the snowplow parent, uh-huh. which is one step above the lawnmower parent, just clear everything out of the way, right? right? <laughs> yes. And no obstacles for your child, and that does not do them any good either. But yes, I definitely have an opinion on this because, you know, it's pretty clear in the parenting literature and, and having just spent, you know, the last couple of years after writing The Toddler Brain, linking this to sort of what it looks like in the adult world. So, like, we know this. Um, in both the workforce, right, when you have a boss who's telling you what to do or when you have a parent who's telling you what to do, the style that works the best is authoritative, not authoritarian, right? So authoritarian would be the tiger mom or the, you know, the, the really controlling, tell you what to do, how to do it, when to do it, critique you on it all the time. Um, and that would be the authoritarian 
whether it's your boss or a parent, that does not work very well. It may work in the short term, get something done immediately because I said so, but what you actually, this is where I said it jokingly at the beginning of the conversation, but if you think what's happening when your child's two, but what do you want them to end up being able to do when they're 22? Um, You want them to be able to get something done without you hovering over them, right? Because ideally you're not going to be there every minute of the day when they're adults. And so that's where that authoritarian thing may work while you're there and while you're in control and enforcing everything, but it does nothing for fostering their independence and their motivation and those things that we all care about. Um, The really relaxed parent, it depends on the context, this idea of panda parenting, because what we know that kids need to thrive almost above all else. I mean, assuming that they're safe and they're not starving, practically the single most important thing is a caring, responsive adult. It's that nurturing, that interaction, that relationship and trust and safety of, you know, having somebody who cares for you. If you are a parent who, that's your definition of panda, right? Warm Mm -hmm. and fuzzy and nice and caring and always there for you. But you're not so relaxed that you decide, well, whatever, doesn't matter. You know, you can eat your you know, your your dessert for dinner and don't have to worry about the vegetables and, oh, you know, don't worry about the car seat if you don't want to sit in it. That sort of panda parenting is inappropriate. But the panda side of you can be warm and caring and, and, and having that like back and forth kind of relationship with your child um, in a relaxed way. Kids do well in a relaxed environment. It just can't be so relaxed that you're not teaching them what they need to know, setting an example and setting boundaries. Because sometimes panda parenting, people interpret as no boundaries. Laura, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, anytime, Siobhan. It's a pleasure. That was Laura Jana. She's a paediatrician and associate professor at Penn State University's Prevention Research Centre and author of The Toddler Brain. If you're at all trying to work out what's going inside your little one's head, I highly recommend it. We'll pop links in the notes of this episode. Essential oils might smell good, but they're not always safe. That's Sarah Hunstead from CPR Kids, and she's talking about essential oils and other dangers you didn't even know about on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. This podcast is produced by Debbie Ning. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.